Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. It is Thursday, May 2nd. Lots going on in the sports world. I'm going to throw it back to a time far, far ago, talking to some college friends of mine. We used to do a radio show back in the day. This is a college, St. Louis University, blowing up specials, I like to call it. First up, Ryan Soule is going to talk about the NFL Draft. Kyler Murray going one to the Cardinals, the Rosen trade to the Dolphins. We break down some of the picks at the top. The Giants being very aggressive, getting Daniel Jones. Haskins going to the Redskins. We talk about a lot of picks, including the second, third, late rounds. Ryan Soles breaking down the draft as only he can. And my good friend Chris Scruggs, another guy from the St. Louis University days. We're going to break down the NBA playoffs. Warriors, Rockets, Kevin Durant's rise is his unprecedented play. And what to make of the East. All four teams we think have a shot. We break down the NBA playoffs now in the second round. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now in the Money Mitch Effect to talk about the NFL draft. Very glad to have him back on the show. Been a little while, a little too long. Ryan Soul's calling back in. Ryan, thanks for coming on and talking some offseason football. Man, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be talking some NFL draft. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a uh, you know a, a sweet spot for us. We try to think about what is the off season now, and there is basically two landmarks: free agency and the draft. Draft is always an interesting time, even in a year like this, Ryan, where it might not have been the glamour positions, might not have been a top heavy draft. There's a lot of talent at the edge rushing position, and always some dominoes when it involves the quarterback position. So. With that in mind, Ryan, I'll ask you, did this draft live up to the hype? We've seen some good ones, some interesting ones. Were you a fan of this year's version of the NFL draft? I definitely was a fan of it. You know, I think there was definitely some anticipation going into it, you know, with the number one overall pick and just what moves were going to be made there. And, you know, when you're a fan of a team, it's always interesting to see who your team is going to pick. And for me in particular, I'm not – you know, always so enamored by quarterbacks all the time. So because this was, you know, a heavy defensive draft or other drafts are heavier in other skill positions and maybe lesser quarterbacks, you know, that didn't bother me as much. So I was happy with it. Yeah, I mean, all we really want is fans. I mean, if you take away the nerds like us with it comes to football, you just want some right. drama, and I think you definitely had this exactly. in the draft. And we should start with the first pick. Kyler Murray went number one to Arizona. We heard a lot of different rumors, even leading up to the day of the draft. But ultimately, Ryan, it was proved that the Cardinals really wanted him. And we've been over this before. And you can also talk about a team like the Giants, who we'll get to. But if you believe in a guy, and if you're somebody like Cliff Kingsbury, who says, look, I'm going to be out of a job anyway if it doesn't work out, might as well tie your wagons to somebody you believe in. There's a lot of questions a lot of upside, a lot of downside with Kyler Murray. He is a very dangerous pick, but if it pans out, they're going to be looking like a genius. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the the risk you run when you take any quarterback in the first round, let alone the number one pick. You know, I think that there's two sides to your point of whether this was the right pick, but I think for the circumstances this was probably the best thing for them to do. I don't know if I would have done it, but I think I don't think it was necessarily bad at all. Yeah, and I think part of that is you, you did draft a quarterback last year. I know it was a different coach, a different system, but it does come out as a wasted pick and lost value with the trade. But now you're in a position where I'll give them this benefit of the doubt too, Ryan. They are committed to it. They drafted all those receivers, so they want they to did. overall the entire offense. They are they're not going to go one foot in, one foot out. This is a full commitment to Kyler Murray. And and I do think that this isn't going to be a situation where we'll see if it works out here. It might need another spot. It's either going to work or it isn't in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I 100% to that point, and I think Cliff Kingsbury can take some pages out from Chip Kelly, takes a few pages from Doug Peterson. You know, if you go back and look at the air raid offense, it doesn't do a ton for, for pass protection. So with an already banged up you know, offensive line in Arizona, it's going to be interesting to see how Kingsbury comes up with the scheme to keep the franchise protected, literally, and to make that offense competitive on an NFL level. So that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting to see because 
both these guys, they need each other, and both are unproven on this level. Yeah, I mean, look, Kyler Murray might be already the most athletic quarterback we have in the league, but mm-hmm. can he, is he going to be able to avoid getting hit? That's what it comes down to me. Is it going to be more Russell Wilson style? Even a guy like Baker Mayfield for my Browns last year, you can't take hits and you can't leave yourself vulnerable at this level. The speed's mm-hmm. too there, too much. The, the violence with these hits are too much. That's what it's going to come down to for me. But we'll see. That was the commitment, Ryan. The other side of that coin is that they traded Josh Rose and Miami gets a quarterback. I'll start with the Arizona side, Ryan. Do you think Do you think this was a fair business move? Do you think they did Rosen a little dirty? Or do you think they, they were pretty straightforward in, in the deal, in sending him on his way? It's one year for a top 10 pick who we still don't know if he can be a legit franchise quarterback. You know, I think it's a tough question to answer just because a lot of it kind of started before Josh Rosen, to be honest with you, with the the coach being in place for a year, how bad the team was really before Rosen got there. So Rosen came in not really even having a fair shake and a chance to really raise his value. And when he didn't get any, when the Cardinals didn't get any pulls on day one, then that just really shot his value down. So I I think that the Cardinals had to do it. You can't go into minicamp with both of them on the roster. But I just think how it all got to this point letting go of the coach after one year. You drafted Rosen at 10 last year, and he's off the team. I just, you know, my whole thing is this better work. No, I mean, that that's the thing. You wasted that pick. You, you basically treated it like a sunk cost, and, and whatever happens, now you got the pressure of Murray not only having to be good, but probably having to be better than Rosen, however he ends up. Mm-hmm. So I get it. It's a business. I also get Rosen feeling the way he did. You know, I it's like it, it's not competition at the quarterback position. We know that it's different there. They, right. they draft the guy first overall. They draft him to be that guy to take mm-hmm. your job, and they can't have them both in camp because it's just a distraction and it will divide the locker room as we've seen before. Miami bought low, and I actually think this is a great move for them in this sense, Ryan. What do they really have to lose? Worst case scenario, they're they're tanking anyway for a good draft pick and one of the quarterbacks next year, either Herbert or Tua. So I, I'm sure, whatever, fine, make this move. Don't give up too much. A lot of the guys that you trade at that pick, some of them don't even make the team. So I don't have a problem with that either. Bring him in, see if you got something, and if not, move on to the next draft class. No, I agree with that 100%. I think it's a win-win proposition for Miami. Well, let's look at the next couple picks in the draft, Ryan. I thought they were pretty straightforward, two and three. Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams, both studs and both going to really make a difference on those defenses. We can talk about Ed Oliver, Josh Allen, guys that were taken a little later. But, look, Bosa, Williams, you can't do much worse than that. I mean, much better than that, excuse me, because in terms of just making an impact on the defense and giving value to the maybe the most important position on the defensive side of the ball, I think these were just slam dunk picks and really no-brainers. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, both defensive end and defensive tackle are uh, extremely important positions on that side of the ball. And both home run picks, I think a lot of people were saying that Quentin Williams was the best overall player in the draft. Uh, A lot of people thought the same about Bosa. Obviously, Bosa coming off the great, not only Ohio State pedigree, but just family pedigree. So, you know, he, he's got a lot to live up to, but he's got the skills uh, to, to live up to it 100%. And I think, you know, quietly, uh, the 49ers are building a, a hell of a front with Bosa and Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas and D. Ford. So all of a sudden, they have a really good pass rush. So, you know, if they can figure out how to get off the field and put Garoppolo in some positions, you know, to be successful, this might be a really good young team. Uh, right, you know, so we'll see. Yeah, and uh, I think both teams had good drafts as well. Even in the th- even <clears throat> as deep as the third round, the uh, Niners took a flyer on Jalen Hurd, who I thought was a pretty, pretty got some potential. He was the Baylor. He actually transferred from Tennessee, switched from running back to receiver. Was all conference last year, and then the Jets drafting a lineman in the third round out of USC. I thought was good as well, trying to get Darnold some help. So I thought both those teams had pretty straightforward, gr- great drafts in that regard. Clemson goes with Farrell, or I should say the Raiders go with Farrell out of Clemson at four. Mm-hmm. Ryan, this was maybe a bit of a gamble, but I'd say, if anything, a smart gamble. This wasn't the Raiders of old taking a receiver, a DK Metcalf type, that high. They picked a specific lineman that might not have been as high on certain boards, but 
We watched Clemson last year. Kid's a stud. Will it translate to the next level? I'm not quite sure if he'll be a dominant stud at the next level. But I actually felt pretty good about the Raiders taking this pick because I watched Farrell be a beast and, and a lot of times the best player on his own D-line. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel amazing about this pick just because, like you said, I think he definitely had flashes of being the best player on on his own defensive line. But I just think when you look at who was still available, you could have done a little bit better mm-hmm. just for the value. I think, and, and especially too, just watching Farrell, he's not a power guy. He's a speed guy. So he's going to have to win with speed at, at 264 pounds. So I could see him, and I don't know what defensive scheme the Raiders are going to play if they're going to play at 34 or 4-3. But I could, if they play at 34, I could see Farrell actually moving to outside linebacker just because I think he's just a little undersized. Yeah, I think this was a need versus maybe best available and yeah. in this sense. I mean, Oliver is a, basically a D-tackle. Allen is the outside linebacker, which makes me think they're going to go 4-3 because mm-hmm. I, well, you would probably take him there in that position. So I yeah. think that might have been it. Uh, Tampa Bay, by the way, just want to point out, as someone, Ryan, yourself, that follows LSU, heck of a pick in Devin White. I thought he was oh, man. unreal last year and somebody that a lot of people didn't talk about. Yeah, and sideline to sideline, I mean, this guy could potentially just be a starter for the next 10 to 12 years and just hold down that middle linebacker spot and you know, maybe following the lineage of, of Derek Brooks and other great, you know, linebackers for who played for the Buccaneers. Uh, and especially with Quan Alexander leaving, uh, this this is really a good fit. So I'm excited to see how he plays. I do want to give uh, quick notes. We'll go a little out of order here, but just straight up nice value picks by the Jaguars at seven and Houston and uh, I should say the Bills at nine, Josh Allen and Ed Oliver. Jaguars loading up an already potent defense and a defense that, you know, we, we talked about it. We know Bortles sucked last year, but their defense wasn't playing at the level they needed to. So I like this pick, especially at seven. And then Ed, Ed Oliver falling to nine to the Bills. I mean, you really can't dream up a better scenario than that. Oh, no, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. If you're the Bills and you just, you're blinking your eyes just saying, are we, did you really just sit here and Ed Oliver just fell to us? I mean, you, you got it. You just pull the trigger immediately. And I think um, Josh Allen hopefully he can turn into what the Jaguars thought Dante Fowler Jr. would be for them. So I think he'll come in and play that outside, you know, edge rusher position. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see if they can have success. I think that's a reoccurring theme, right, Ryan, that some of the best drafts were teams that just stayed put, didn't trade up, didn't get desperate, just let the picks come to them. So mm-hmm. I think that's true. All right, here's where the drama really comes in. Ryan Soul's Money, Mitch Effect, talking the NFL draft. That number six pick, Daniel Jones from Duke. I should just, I'm just going to turn over to you. Your thoughts, because I'll, I'll, I'll say what I'm going to say after I hear your take on this. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't like this at all. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is – and just excuse me if I, if I go long-winded and kind of reach in here. And I, and I don't know if this is nepotism uh, when it comes to the Manning family and working with Cutcliffe and being part of that, um, you know, passing academy and them having so much work together. I don't know if Eli Manning, uh, the Manning family in general, was consulting on this. Um, but just the little bit of Daniel Jones that I watched, he didn't pop off as my, off my screen and say, okay, this guy – is NFL, you know, starter potential, you know, this year for as high as you draft a guy at that spot. Um, and you know me just in us having text conversations throughout this process. I thought Dwayne Haskins was the best quarterback in the draft. I thought he was a prototypical height pocket passer guy that you want. He played in a more advanced system with Ryan Day being the offensive coordinator you know, I think of Kyler Murray, you know, just to switch gears a little bit, was three inches taller. You know, this would be a whole different conversation, but I don't think Daniel Jones was the second best quarterback. Dave Gettleman says two other teams were definitely going to pick him, and they saw him at the Senior Bowl and just had to have him immediately. So they better be right because Josh Allen was available for them too. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't imagine he would play this season if they've said all they've said about Eli Manning but you don't draft a guy this high for him to sit either so I I really don't know 
Well, yeah, three years is what Gettleman said is just ridiculous. But let me just let me put it in a context like this. As someone that is admittedly a little biased toward Dwayne Haskins, obviously, so being an Ohio State guy. But my take on this, Ryan, was they had the 6th and 17th picks in the first round. And there wasn't a team that we heard of. Now, you never know, but you, but you hadn't really heard anything publicly other than what the Giants tried to say that really wanted him, that was willing to trade up for him or in that range. Yeah. So why do you take him at 6 if he's more likely going to be there at 17? And, and that, that's the other thing. Like, if you fully believe on him, believe him, believe like more than we do, that's fine. Prove us wrong. In three years, you'll be the one laughing. We'll be wrong. Obviously, they're in that position of power to do that. But at Duke, didn't quite see what I needed to see. Now, I, I understand the other counter-argument to that, and that's the team around him was terrible. A lot of, my, lot of mashups of drops, a lot of bad pass protection, a lot going wrong around him. I totally get that. But didn't completely win me over to the point where I think top six pick, and I think if you're the Giants, I think you could have slow-played this. I just don't know who would have taken – who would have taken uh, Daniel Jones uh, in between 6 and 17, or at least, at the very least, Ryan, in that early teen range where you could have traded 17 up for, for a little or less, I should say? Oh, yeah, and you know, and I hear you, and you know, and not to beat a dead horse, I guess, here, but I guess my only pushback would be in regards to you know your point earlier, if you believe a guy is your guy, then you just gotta take him. Yeah. I I don't think there's a difference in the Giants picking him at six versus seventeen. I don't think he he should have had a first round grade on him anyway. So if they thought that was their guy, mm-hmm. then I don't have a I don't have a problem with them picking him at six. I just think right. they had the wrong guy. Well, and, and I look at a team, yeah, no, I agree with that. And I would look at a team like the Broncos, who we heard rumblings that they wanted Drew Locke as high as the first round. They just waited, mm-hmm. and then the market felt him. And then that's the difference, right? If Locke yeah. flames out of the league, okay, it was a second-round pick. You exactly. didn't do anything crazy for him. It's not going to be looked at the same way as the Paxton Lynch pick was. Right, and and I'll say this real quick. Dave Gettleman has said a bunch of crazy stuff, but – Oh, who are we to say that he was wrong in saying there may have been two teams that he knew for a fact that were going to draft Daniel Jones before they got to 17? True, true. But, you know, so I always I, say that, I, though. <laughs> I like to doubt that. I would doubt that heavily, but I don't know. The 17th pick the Giants took was Dexter Lawrence, who has been through some ups and downs, obviously a, a beast in college, but had some issues, didn't play in the playoff game. Got to wonder there. But, uh, I, you know, during the 17th pick, Ryan, I just watched OBJ highlights. So that's all I did. <laughs> so, um, all right. But, you know, the, the flip side of the Daniel Jones debate, Ryan, isn't that they took Daniel Jones to who they passed on and where the guy they passed on ended up. Exactly. So now you got Dwayne Haskins playing you twice a year for maybe the next decade. So uh-huh. the Redskins, the Redskins waited. This is a homecoming story. Haskins is from the Maryland area. He grew up a Redskins fan. He's playing for the hometown team. This was the best case scenario for him. And another, I, I, it's weird. I'm going to give Snyder and company credit for this draft because they didn't panic. They just let Haskins fall to them, and they, I think they ended up with the best quarterback in the draft. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I've always just been skeptical of the Washington organization in general. I haven't been too, too up on Jay Gruden, but they've performed better in, in past years and recently expected Alex Smith, you know, had a horrific injury last year, so I don't think he'll play this season. And I think Haskins will be great, you know, to step in and, and you know, show what he can do. And they've, they've got some weapons. They've got a system and some continuity that, continuity that's been there for a while and really an underrated defense. I just think, you know, that's a really tough division. But um, I think this is a good fit for him. And if he needs to sit, I know we've joked on him a little bit too, but they traded for Keenum in the offseason. So that's mm-hmm. a legit competition for a rookie coming in that may yeah. be a little raw. So I do like that situation as well. Haskins is going to get his chance. Very similar, I think, to Mitch Trubisky. And Trubisky went second overall, but he just doesn't have the starts, the reps under his belt. So that's mm-hmm. where I think you're going to see maybe it'd be better to sit him at least for the first half of the season. But we like that landing spot. We, we do a lot. Um, all right, Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect. What were some other picks early in the first half of the first round that you liked, maybe you didn't like, that we haven't gotten to yet? Anything stand out, good or bad? So a couple things that shocked me, uh, and really both in a good way. I'll start with uh, the Lions. 
I was really shocked they passed on Ed Oliver, just Matt Patricia being, you know, the, the defensive coach. I think Hawkinson will help Stafford a lot because he he's a really good tight end. Yeah. But I was just shocked that they passed on Oliver. And then to me, I think maybe the biggest value pick within the top 10 was Devin Bush going to – you know your your rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Michigan to the Steelers. This yeah, Michigan. To, yeah, no, a, it's a just, match made in hell for me. Yeah, but, exactly. No. But he he can step in and, and fill you know Ryan Shazier's role almost immediately, and you know I, I hope he continues his recovery. He can come in and fill that role immediately, and the Steelers have missed an inside linebacker, and he's a thumper too. Yeah, I, you know, the injury history scares me a little bit with him, and the Steelers trading up is something that they don't ever do. So they don't do. Obviously, yeah. they think that this kid could be special. Uh, there's a need there, so he'll get his chance to play for sure. For sure, 100%. Uh, Jonah Williams going for, to the Bengals at 11, um, was our, you know, I thought was interesting too, Brian. First draft, I can remember in a long time, Noah Lyman in the top 10. So first yeah, Lyman goes at number 11, and uh, a good one I think the Bengals got. No, I, I think so as well, and you know it'll be interesting to see what the future of Andy Dalton is. But I, I don't think he'll have the bad offensive line excuse this year, or they shouldn't. We saw some we saw some replacements too, right? Like we saw Gary being like the Clay Matthews replacement in, in, in uh, Green Bay, the other Michigan kid. Clemson mm-hmm. drafted Wilkins, three Clemson D linemen in the top seventeen. Mm-hmm. He could be what they what they wanted Sue to be, obviously. Right, seeing the Falcons get their lineman Chris Lindstrom, a uh, a Boston College guy again, Matt Ryan maybe trying to extend his career a little bit as well. Um, but if we go to the later the later in the first round, some of the picks that stood out to me, good or bad, I want to talk about your team for a second. Mm-hmm. The Eagles making that pick, getting an O lineman and Andre Dillard. I thought this was solid. And sometimes solid is the best course of action because they want to just simplify it and really keep Carson healthy next year. Mm-hmm. I think you could have maybe found a better overall player in this draft, but I'm not knocking the pick because sometimes you just got to draft the boring old lineman, and I think this was one of those situations. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think you the theme with the Eagles has been build strength on strength. We see them constantly bring in defensive linemen, free agents, because that's where their strength was when they won the Super Bowl. And their strength on the other side of the football is their offensive line. Jason Peters getting ready to be 37 years old. I'm sure he'll be transitioning out at some point, be it this year or next year, his last year. And Dillard, whether he starts this year or sits behind, you know, a Hall of Famer and gets to learn, I think is great for the squad. So I don't mind this at all. I And, you know, maybe getting a little ahead. The only bothersome thing to me about uh, my squad was with the departure of Jordan Hicks, we needed an inside linebacker, and we still didn't show up our secondary. So I'm glad we're building on strength when we still got some needs. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, also want to give a shout-out to 23rd overall pick, Tyus, uh, Titus Howard, Alabama State lineman. So an Alabama yeah. State lineman going in the top 23 I thought was good. All right, here's two picks that I'm going to question, and they happen back-to-back. One is a smaller question, one is a bigger question, right? Number 24, the Raiders take Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. Okay. I wasn't sure any running back was first-round worthy. And I know Marshawn Lynch just retired for the second time, and I know know that you you have a need there. But I just don't like this pick from a team that's really not going anywhere anytime soon. Wasn't thrilled by it. Jacob's not really, you know, he is a bruiser for sure, but I thought they could have got value in, on the other side of the ball, especially the defense of uh, the secondary as well. And then Ryan, 25th, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown going to the Ravens. Big fan of his story. Hope he recovers well from injury. I'm just struggling to see how he's going to fit in the passing game with his vertical speed in the Lamar Jackson offensive system. So have yeah. some questions there. So I would say kind of on both of those, first starting with Josh Jacobs, I agree with you 100%. I I think the Raiders could have done themselves a favor and maybe traded out of that spot, maybe gotten some more picks. Considering they drafted the safety uh, a couple spots later, maybe they really had their eye on Josh Jacobs, but I thought they could have done better with that spot, as you said. Uh, Hollywood Brown to the Ravens, I think, conversely, funny enough, I think this is actually perfect for Lamar Jackson because we we don't see him completely develop as that pocket passer yet but as much as they run the football with the option 
and just straight runs anyway. One thing he can throw and they can work on is the deep ball. So you can get Marquise Brown in space. You can work on those routes and you can get him just down the field. And I think he'll just be yet another playmaker for a team that's not, you know, going to nickel and dime you from the pocket West Coast style, but he'll be able to stretch the defense and just take away chunks of yardage. And that's what you need for a guy who, you know, really isn't playing high level quarterback yet in the NFL. Right, I, and I hear that. I just, I guess, I want to see it to believe it. And I know, yeah. I know, this is a, a schematic thing that would definitely work well in the high school and college level. The NFL might be a little different to just have one guy be your your deep threat and see if you can yeah. develop Lamar Jackson. So it's something that I was looking at the different landing spots for Marquise Brown. I didn't, I actually didn't think Baltimore was going to be one of them, but they needed a receiver and they got one. Um, other good value picks before we get to some more interesting ones. Montez Sweat to the Redskins at 26. Like this a lot. A lot of potential there. And then you got replacements for uh, or another replacement in the Seattle uh, pick at 29. The DCUD end, LJ Callier. They had an opening, which we all know about, come up recently. So some good picks there. Really do like the 30 pick for the Giants, though. DeAndre Baker, the corner out of Georgia. I think he has the potential to be the best corner in this draft when it's all said and done, and I thought that was a good pick for them as well. I agree 100%. Uh, a question of Montez Sweat, do you think his health concerns kept him so low? Cause I, I, I think, do. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think when the Giants had a shot to pick Dexter Lawrence, I, I thought Montez Sweat would have been perfect there. Replacing but, uh, and him I get that, perfect. though. I, I get I think that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking mid-first to late-first with better prospects, potentially better prospects available. I totally mm-hmm. understand that, but the Redskins at 26 to have him fall there I thought was good. And speaking of someone falling right into your laps, that would be perfect. Nikhil Harry is a New England Patriot. Oh, it's perfect. And, you know, I can guarantee you Coach Belichick was on the phone with Coach Herm Edwards, you know, getting the scoop on this kid. And I think, I think Belichick really regards, you know, the opinion of coaches who, you know, have had success, coaches who have played – and um, watching the kill Harry play and then not seeing or seeing that the Patriots very often trade out in the first round and they very seldom draft a receiver this high. They must really think highly of him. So I'm interested to see how they scheme him up. Absolutely. It's going to be fun or not fun for the rest of the league, but fun for the Patriots and their fans. Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, before we wrap this up, I want to talk about some of the later rounds, the second in particular. Ryan, I'll give you what I thought was actually the best second-round pick. And no, it wasn't Greedy Williams, although I really did like that pick from the Mm -hmm. Browns. But if I had to pick one second-round pick that I liked the most in terms of value, in terms of team need, and where they got them, you might be surprised to hear my answer is the Tennessee Titans taking A.J. Brown, 51st overall. I like that pick a lot. I think he was the most polished receiver in the SEC last year. And I think given the value and given the fact that you need something to see if Mariota really is the guy for the long haul. I was a big fan of that pick. No, I agree, and I think he's the better of the, the two big prospects, him and DK Metcalf coming out of Ole Miss. I like that as well. I really don't have you know a counter. I think I will say this. The Vikings drafting Irv Smith Jr. maybe tells me they might be looking to move Randolph. Maybe yeah. he pan out the way that they thought he was going to. So I thought that was interesting as well, unless, you know, they're going to start running out of, you know, 21 personnel. Yeah, we went cornerback, cornerback to start the second round with Byron Murphy out of Washington to the Cardinals and then Rocky Sin out of Temple to the Colts. Uh, another great pick, almost said it in my answer, Debo Samuel uh, to San Francisco. I thought that's a good value pick as well, just like Brown a little more from the polished route, but we all know the gifts that Samuel has. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, as we go further along, I mean, I mentioned Drew Locke. I thought that was a good pick as well in the second round. But I got to talk about my guy, Greedy Williams. The Browns get him 46 overall. Seems well, you know, <laughs> I, I love me some LSU guys. So I, I'm really happy to see him going to your squad. And some people thought he could have been the best corner in the draft, too. So to put him next to Denzel Ward, you know, on paper, this looks like it's going to be a really good defense. You got a nice secondary and a nice, really nice pass rush. So on paper, this is looking good. Should be fun to watch for yeah. sure. 
I want to ask you about my squad, though. What did you think of uh, us getting Miles Sanders and uh, the receiver out of Stanford? Very, very interesting. And and actually, I liked I liked both of them. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, the receiver, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Yeah, Whiteside. Yeah, Whiteside. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, to hyphenate last name. I thought he was. I think he's a gamer. We saw him show up in big games. You gotta like that, and obviously good in the vertical passing route. Sanders was an interesting one because I actually do like his upside and his game, but what does that really say about Howard? Well, he's he's a free agent after the 2019 season. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if they plan on seeing just this is a prove-it deal for Howard, but I can't imagine that in a league that's phasing running backs out more and going to running backs by committee – that the Eagles decided that, you know, as good as Miles Sanders was, uh, you know, he might have been the second best running back behind Adams, that he's just going to be your workhorse. It's been running back by committee for the last few years. But the loss of Blunt, the loss of Ajayi, uh, I think he'll he'll back up uh, Clement or he'll start. Yeah, and just a note on the Bears, you know, the old landing spot for, uh, for Howard. Love mm-hmm. Montgomery out of Iowa State. I, I think that's a perfect pick for them. I think he has the potential to fit in right away and more of Matt Nagy's system. So, yeah, it's just funny to see how the pieces work. But I thought Sanders was an interesting one. Uh, two receivers late and that I'll talk about in the second round, Ryan. Your, your boy. <laughs> Andy Isabella, Cleveland kid out of UMass, okay. going to the Cardinals. I just I, I like what they're trying to do. He's been working at the Randy Moss Academy, working uh-huh. with the best obviously helps. And uh, I think he'll do well there. This kid's got legit speed. And then DK Metcalf, the last pick of the second round, to the mm-hmm. Seahawks. Hey, he's a one-trick pony. It's a hell of a trick. We heard that all week. But if he's going to catch deep balls, I think it doesn't get much better than Russ's. No, it doesn't. And uh, I think he, he'll – people are thinking about the deep balls, but I think he'll be a really good red zone threat with just his size and his strength. You know, if you can teach him how to run a, a, a good fade – you know, I think he'll be dangerous in, in the back of the end zone. And then I, I like what the Cardinals are doing, just trying to put weapons around Kyler Murray and any of these receivers, Andy, Isabella. I'm blanking on the other receivers they got over there, but they better learn from Larry Fitzgerald because they, they're not going to have him for very, for very much longer. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I wasn't going to forget about Paris Campbell going to the Colts. Love that as well. What the Colts are doing I think is good. And uh, – Fastest time, fa- fastest forty time at the combine. Uh-huh. Going to play with Andrew Luck, and I think they're going to do some interesting things there. I don't think that's the best pick of the second draft, but or the second round. But I think that might be the best fit for a team. Like I think right. that they need a set a receiver opposite of um, T. Y. Hilton, and I think this could be really good. They never really have found that. That's uh, that's true. They never really found that guy to compliment T.Y., so hopefully it's Paris or at least somebody. Another toy. It's another Belichickian pick. I think that's the best way to describe it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, Ryan, as we look at the rest of this draft and wrap it up, what were some other deep picks that you liked or stood out to you? Because I know you watched every round of this. Oh, yeah, man. So I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was the – Defensive tackle out of your school. Oh, Draymond Jones. Uh, yeah, the I like. Yeah, yeah I, I like him a lot. I, you know, and I think just putting guys around Bradley Chubb and that defense. I, you know, Elway still hasn't shown he knows how to pick a quarterback, but, but he you does know, everything can, else well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they can put guys around Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, I think they can be okay. And then there was one more. Oh. Will Greer going to the Panthers. Mm. I don't I don't know if this is an indication of, of Cam not being healthy. I don't know if they're just preparing for the future, just saying, hey, you're going to learn. But I thought that was interesting. I thought that was perfect for him because I think, you know, he might be a career backup. He might have a potential to play. But as a fourth-round pick, it's a good it's a good place to kind of learn from. And I think he'll be – he'll be given a chance to compete and really take hold of the backup job. And then depending on Cam's health, might see some reps. You know what's funny, Ryan? The other pick that I thought was interesting under the radar, Ryan Finley, the NC State quarterback, going to the Bengals. He might be the quarterback. (laughs) They might be moving on from Andy Dalton, so don't be surprised if he starts uh, again soon. I got one more for you, too. Yeah. Riley Ridley going to the Bears from Mm. Georgia. 
Mm, yeah, Calvin's like, brother. Yeah, I like that a lot. The other guy that we were trying to think of was Akeem Butler out of Iowa State was a receiver that the Cardinals took as well. So okay, are, yeah, 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 that's, that's the other receiver. So they are loading up. Uh, the Redskins also drafting Bryce Love, which we'll see what he can offer at the pro level. Fourth-round pick stud out of uh, Stanford. So I think there's uh, I think there's some interesting values in the later rounds, and I think we'll see the other quarterback, the quarterback that the Pats that the Pats finally drafted, Jared Stidham out of Auburn. Out of Auburn, yeah, and I, I watched him earlier in the season, and I, you know, I think he's definitely developmental, but I I liked a little the little of what I saw early in the college football season last year. He's just good enough to not. Uh threaten Brady <laughs> so Brady won't send him out of town like he did Garoppolo exactly but you know I think this might be coming up on the time now where I don't know if uh, Robert Kraft will have that ace you know in the hole just with Brady's age I don't know if he'll be able to hold Belichick up and say you got to trade this next guy I know we're getting there uh yeah we certainly are and I, it was nice to see the Browns draft Baker Mayfield's kicker um out of Oklahoma doing him a fa- <laughs> doing him a favor obviously uh, Ryan, one last thing, and, and this is more on the serious note, but we saw the Chiefs make an interesting draft in the second round. Uh, Hardman out of Georgia, receiver. Certainly looks like a Tyreek Hill replacement to me. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think for the Chiefs, regardless if he's going to be in the league, you know, that, that'll be up to Roger Goodell to decide. But if it's my team, you know, he, he can't come back to play for my squad. So I think the Chiefs, you know, on the fly – had to do something, you know, with, and I don't know how long they knew about this news, but they were able to adapt and, and shift and, you know, make this pick. I'm not sure what his 40 time was, so I, I don't know if they were looking to replace the track athlete completely, you know, although it's hard to replace a guy like that, but a big part of that offense was having a burner, and it, it's just going to be, it's going to be interesting to see Randy Reed accounts for it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's pretty straightforward. If he did what's alleged to have done and it looks bad, he should never play in the NFL again, especially yeah. as a repeat offender, Tyreek Hill. So, um, we don't know for sure, so not going to say that for sure, but this looks as bad as it gets, so we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. But, all right, Ryan, this was uh, this was fun. I think the draft got us going. We're already ready for football. We're going to have to wait a little bit, but uh, I know the AAF is gone, but I'm getting ready for Vince McMahon's XFL. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you know, they can learn from the AAF and not have to end their season before the season ends. He's going to try to sign. He is going to try to sign underclassmen, and that is going to be very interesting to me. Oh, wow. Vince McMahon on the sideline, like straight out of wrestling, on the sideline when uh, when Trevor Lawrence is playing, Clemson's freaking out because he's on the sideline. He's so, on the sideline. <laughs> so we'll see. But, Ryan, this was fun. We'll be chatting again in the summer for sure. I know you're – I know you're I know you're knee deep in the uh, NBA playoffs so uh <laughs> enjoy oh, yeah. those and uh try not to get up in the uh foul competition between the Warriors and the Rockets cuz I know that's pretty much what it's come to. All only people I want to be fouling are in the Lakers organization right now. <laughs> so uh, are you are you back following Magic on Twitter? You loving that? <laughs> uh I'm I'm good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ryan Souls Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again for coming on. Appreciate you, man. All right, huge thanks to Ryan Souls for coming on today's show, talking NFL Draft. We'll have to bring him back out in the summer to break down some more football storylines as well. But now we're going to switch it up. Another classmate of mine from SLU, Chris Scruggs, breaking down the NBA playoffs. We're in the second round. The Warriors jumped out to a 2-0 lead. We talk about that. If the Rockets can get back, what to make of the officiating. The Blazers and Nuggets tied at one. We recorded that while the Blazers were winning, but we expect a long series in that one. And then the Eastern Conference, which we discussed. Which one of the four teams, and we all do think they have a chance, which one of the four teams is best, best positioned to make a run to the finals? It's Chris Scruggs now on the Money Mitch Effect talking NBA playoffs. All right, now time to talk NBA playoffs on the Money Mitch Effect. Throwing it all the way back, talking with my good buddy Chris Scruggs, host of the famous in the past world-renowned sports radio show blowing up in St. Louis. Chris, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Hope things are good. Yeah, everything's going well. Thanks for, thanks for having me. 
Well, we're uh, we're already in the second round of the playoffs. I'm kind of glad that we made it through the first because I think a lot of us thought there wasn't as much drama. We we feel like the playoff field might be deeper. I think it's fair to say. But the first round was just kind of an informal, let's get to the best eight teams. Other than Spurs Nuggets, Chris, there really wasn't much drama in the first round. Yeah, it wasn't much drama, but I did enjoy watching the Portland and OKC series. I thought that could have been better, but that was a pretty decent series, too. Yeah, definitely had the ending and uh, elevated some players on Portland. Some players on Oklahoma City went the other way, but here we are with eight teams left. As far as uh, it goes going into this round of the playoffs, and we talked about this in the past, Chris, with the Warriors looking for their third straight championship, their fourth potentially in five years, it feels like it's got some more drama in it in the sense that the Warriors, we're not sure if they're mentally there yet. There's some pending free agents on that team. Coach, with the fact, fact, Chris, that the East, uh, it doesn't have LeBron James in the playoffs. We're going to have a new team there, and any one of these four teams can make a run at it. I think drama-wise, this is as good as it's been second round and on in a while. Yeah, I agree with you, especially out East this year without LeBron. You actually have four good teams out there playing right now. East team has a lot of depth. They have star power as well, so I'm excited to see what happens. Well, I want to start with the series in the West that's been getting the most buzz, the Rockets and the Warriors. And the Rockets have themselves to blame for a lot of things. Being down 2-0 is one, but also having this series be in the second round, it took some losses at the end of the regular season to get there but Chris the Rockets came in believing media wasn't sure if the Warriors were mentally tough and here we are two games in and the Warriors are up two to nothing before we get to all the drama surrounding some officiating and that stuff I got to give credit to where credit's due and that's the best player in the NBA by far I think right now has been Kevin Durant I know you've been on him being one of the best players, if not the best for a while now, but I think it's clear to see that this is his time to dominate, and this stretch of basketball he's played dating back to the Clippers series might be as good as he's ever played. Kevin Durant, he's just been uh, making his presence known ever since he said, you know who I am. You know, he had to bring it up, step it up a notch. I think uh, the biggest thing, the biggest change in his game over the past few years is that he's actually playing great defense at this time. Uh, he's actually the Warriors' rim protector. He's, I would say, their best defender and best offensive player. So, yeah, yeah, he's really doing a lot for the team at the moment. And when they call his number, he always shows up. Some of the shots he was hitting in game one, uh, the degree of difficulty was insane. You mentioned his defense. I think that's a great point to highlight. And I also think that Durant is uh, doing a good job letting the offense run through him. It's crazy to say. But they, I mean, the Golden State Warriors, with all the weapons they have, we saw it in Game 2, I think, Chris, perfectly, when they're all on, what it looks like. So I, I still don't know how the Rockets are going to be able to win this series. I don't want to say it's over because they are going to go back to Houston with a chance there. But I'll just say this. If if Draymond Green's going to be effective, if they're going to get stuff from Iguodala and Livingston off the bench, I mean, I, I just can't see any single way that the Rockets win with, all those players playing well as they did in game two. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. The Rockets are uh, pretty much top-heavy, and the Warriors are top-heavy too, but they have three, four players at their top with the Rockets only having James Harden and Chris Paul. And unless James Harden and Chris Paul just have monster games every game, that's the only way I see them winning. Chris Paul, he's an efficient player, but we all know James Harden needs to take, you know, his majority of the shots to uh, get what he's going to get you. So, yeah, I think with the Warriors having efficient stars and uh, a deep bench with some key pieces on the bench, I just think it would be too much for the Rockets to overcome. Well, if you're looking at this round or even in the rounds going forward, depending on what happens with Houston here, I mean, I know it's a tough question, but what type of lineups do you think have the best chance, Chris, to even make a run at this? We've seen Houston not sure. I mean, Capella can score inside even Nene with the pick and rolls and being offensive rebounding, but we saw it at the end of game one where – defensively their liabilities against what Golden State can do. Do you think Houston and some of these teams going forward should try to play them small or is going big inside? I mean, I know it's a tough question, but what do you think the best possibility for competing against the Warriors would be? Honestly, I know a lot of people in the news, they uh, always like to say whoever wins this series is pretty much the NBA champs, but I thought that was kind of disrespectful to other teams. Mm -hmm. I think a team like the Boston Celtics, or the Toronto Raptors are best equipped to beat the Warriors. I think they have uh, good wing players, good guard play, and a, a small force they have on their teams are pretty good as well. So I think a team 
that has good, skillful players at the guard position and a small forward position are most equipped to beat them, as well as who has a lot of depth on their team, like a team like Boston who has Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, or even a team like Toronto with Siakam and Kyle Lowry and Van Fleet and, um, of course, Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. Those type of teams who have a lot of guard play and good, strong guard play with a nice small forward play, I think those are the type of teams most equipped to beat the Warriors. I mean, I just don't think you can beat them at their own game, which is what the Rockets have tried to do. We see that in any sport. Yeah. A lot of the teams you mentioned have different styles that might be better suited to have success. So we'll see what the Rockets uh, can do at home in Houston. But I do have to ask you, I know it's been making the media circles, though. As someone in yourself, Chris, that's played a lot of basketball, what do you think about this this uh, newest officiating issue with the Rockets and the Warriors, both teams that complain a lot for the most part about calls when they don't go their way, but the newest thing about shooting lanes and landing space that we're seeing. I saw some of the plays, and maybe some of the early ones in the first half on Clay Thompson closing out on Harden should have been called, but that last one with Draymond Green, I mean, I don't know how you can give an offensive player a foul win he's jumping three feet forward into his new landing space. So I'm interested to hear what you say about that. Yeah, uh, in particular with that last play with Draymond Green and James Harden, I honestly thought that was a good no-call because at first James Harden actually pushes off a little bit, in my opinion, and then he steps back and then he jumps forward three feet after he takes a jump shot. For years now, James Harden's game has had a little deception in it, and for years now when it comes to the playoffs, he already knows the officiating is going to change. So – at this point, I don't think you should complain and start uh, expecting anything any different. I just think the Rockets as a team, they depend on too much. They depend on the refs too much. And they're, and James Harden in particular, his game is uh, deceptive, and he depends on that a lot. So I think when the playoffs come, that's why you see him struggle because he's not going to get those same calls. Right. I mean, his usage rate isn't as amazing as it would appear. He just gets to the free throw line a lot. And when that doesn't happen, things change. And, and you brought up another good point about some push-offs with some of those shots as well. Chris Paul's one comes to mind. You know, it just seems like they went on, on the first game, they just went with a lot of no calls. And I don't want to see a ton of free throws uh, on ticky-tack calls as well. So I had no problem with that being a no call. And uh, it's unfortunate that more people aren't talking about the Warriors winning the two games as opposed to the uh, officiating. But we'll move on, Chris, to uh, the Eastern Conference. we got a West game going on right now. But I want to go to the East because a very interesting series taking place, Boston and Milwaukee. It's 1-1. Celtics win game one in that series, Chris. And then in game two, it's close at half, and they kind of fade away going down the stretch. But they're going back to Boston. It's 1-1. Milwaukee had home court advantage, came out late in egg first. A lot of people are pumping up Milwaukee. Giannis is probably having an MVP-type season. Do you think this series, though, is going to have a lot more drama and it's going to be a lot tougher than most people think? Because Milwaukee... For all their hype and praise, they really haven't been in the big moment, big games ever. Yeah, unlike most people, I honestly have the Celtics winning this series from the jump. And I know the Celtics have been playing bad all year, but I always figure once the playoffs come around, they'll have a little bit more uh, cohesiveness. And honestly, with Marcus Smart going down, that kind of shortened the rotation, so that, I think that made them play better. But when it comes to Giannis, I think my biggest knock with the Bucks and Giannis is that Giannis, as a superstar and the best player on the team, he just does not have a consistent jump shot. Mm -hmm. Also, this is his first year making it out the first round, so he really doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. And also, he doesn't have a jump shot. So I wasn't necessarily expecting them to just beat the Celtics like that. And I think the Celtics actually have a lot of depth. I'm real high on Jason Tatum. I'm real high on Jalen Brown. real high on Terry Rozier. Of course, I'm real high on Kyrie Irving. And uh, the Bucks, they also have a good team, too, with Chris Middleton. But they're missing Brogdon, and um, I think that hurts them a little bit. He was a 50-40-90 player this year, and I think the only one. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that this series is 1-1 going back to Boston. I think how the games got away from each team surprised me. thought they'd be a little closer down the stretch. But you mentioned it in Milwaukee. This series, and Giannis is great. He's amazing. I'd vote for him for MVP this year. But I think this series is going to come down to a guy like Chris Middleton. And if Brogdon can come back and give them something, because you're going to have to knock down shots, Brad Stevens is too good of a defensive coach to let one guy beat him as good as he may be. On the Boston side, I do agree as well that the, the rotation kind of had a log jam. I think Smart going down actually helped the team. 
we know all the drama that happened with Boston. The Kyrie Irving offseason is looming. There were some interesting discussions with him and some other players, and, and it seems to be all channeled in the right direction. For me, it's going to take some players stepping up for Boston to win. I'm also high on Tatum, as you know, and Gordon Hayward as well. Hayward is just, I think, finally becoming the player he was before the catastrophic injury last year. He's going to have to keep continuing to raise his play, and I'd like to see Boston and Tatum as well. I'd like to see Tatum have some more plays run through him and see him raise his game because I think the potential's there. I think we all agree on it, but I think he needs to take that next leap if they're really going to make the finals this year. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. In my opinion, all year the issue with Boston was there truly wasn't a clear-cut number two guy, and in my opinion, I may be a little biased being from St. Louis, but I always thought that Tatum should be their clear-cut second option and I thought then everybody else should fall in line by commission. But I think throughout the year, Boston, they had Kyrie Irving as the number one option. Then any given night, you know, Jalen Brown could be the second option. Terry Rozier could be the second option. Al Horford. So I thought that was one thing that was hurting Boston and could possibly hurt them in the future if they don't define a clear-cut second option. Yeah, and I do think part of that is it's hard to play with Kyrie Irving maybe sometimes as him being the top option. He's unbelievable with the basketball in his hands, but maybe not the best facilitator like some of the other elite point guards we've seen. So that could be part of it, too. I'm expecting a long series. I fully expect this to be 2-2 going back to Milwaukee for Game 5, and I think we should buckle up for seven games. I, I guess I'm kind of actually leaning Boston in this one as well, but I, kinda, I just got to see Games 3 and 4 first. The key for Boston to win, in my opinion, I think they have to go home and handle business and win the next two games. If you let Milwaukee tie it up 2-2, then it'll be dangerous coming back game five in Milwaukee. So I think Boston can come back and handle business, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, Al Horford as well is going to be a key contributor in this next game. If Brogdon plays, that's a game changer as well, so we'll see what happens there. Still chatting with Chris Scruggs on the Money Mitch Effect, uh, the other Eastern Conference series in the NBA playoffs. Philadelphia and Toronto, big game three coming up in that series. Toronto splits at home with Philadelphia, oddly enough, doesn't lose game one. Two interesting games. Toronto nearly came back in game two. There's a lot to break down with this series, but I want to start with this. Both players really did step up. Both franchise guys for both teams stepped up when they needed to. Obviously talking about Kawhi Leonard in uh for Toronto in game one, and then a healthy dose of Embiid, who I think has clearly been proven to be one of the best players in the league at this point, with Jimmy Butler serving as a closer. Philadelphia, Chris, gets the road split, wins game two, hangs on. Do you like what this team is building, and do you think going into game three they could keep it going, or do you like Toronto to come out, get one on the road, and take back control of this series? Honestly, this one is a hard one to call to call, but in my opinion, I think Toronto is a more cohesive team. I think they play better and their pieces fit better. So I would expect Toronto to pull out the series in the next two games. But on the other hand, I believe that Philly has the most talent on their team. They have more talented players and they have the most talented starting five, in my opinion, when Embiid is fully healthy. And I think they uh, have players that can match up with the stars on the other team. So if, as long as Jimmy Butler, if he could continue to somewhat match Ka- Kawhi Leonard, then I think they have a great shot. And if depending on Embiid's health as well, yeah, but a, yeah. I like Siakam and the Kawhi Leonard tandem so much. I think they both play very efficient on offense, and they're both great defenders. Siakam's gotten better every game, it seems like. He's just a totally different player than he was at the start of this season. And Kawhi, we know, has just been incredible, the best two-way player in the league. You mentioned a point that I think a lot of people are bringing up, but I do want to dive into the Sixers not being that cohesive with all that talent. I got to ask you what your thoughts are on this starting five, specifically where a guy like Ben Simmons fits in when it comes to crunch time. Because what we saw the Sixers do, Chris, in game two was run the offense through Jimmy Butler's hands with a heavy dose of Embiid in the post. I think Simmons is an incredible talent, but with his lack of a jump shot and teams blatantly not respecting it, he almost becomes the third wheel in crunch time, and, and oddly enough, Philly has a better chance to win when Butler's ball dominant. I like Ben Simmons' game a lot. I like everything he brings to the team. I think he's a underrated defender, but, man, his lack of a jump shot, he can't knock down free throws. He doesn't even shoot 15, 17-foot jump shots, and I think ultimately that hurts the team. I think when you could sag off a player like him and double down on Embiid and crowd the lane because he can't shoot, 
at the end of the games that could hurt your team. And we all know that playoff games often come down to the last couple of minutes. So it's almost it's almost like he's a liability on the court. But on the other hand, once again, his length and strength was actually a problem for Kawhi at times. I saw him kind of give Kawhi, make Kawhi frustrated. And uh, so it's a give. You got to give some and take him. With his defense on Kawhi, I don't know. Maybe he can be a benefit, but with his lack of jump shot, he can also be a liability. And here's why I also am slightly leaning Toronto right now, and I give them the edge. Their depth advantage is overwhelming. That's what happens when you're Philly and you make all those trades for guys like Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Their depth, when they have to go into their bench when someone's injured or they have foul trouble, it's not really pretty right now. But, yeah, it's not. But, but you mentioned some of the guys on the Raptors, especially up front, too. You forget some of the talent that's on this team, that they can go to Gasol, Ibaka off the bench, that they can find Van Fleet, have some other options there, too. I mean, in, in Lowry as well. I think if this is a war of attrition, meaning if it goes six or seven, it, the longer this goes, the more I like Toronto to just wear down Philly. Another team that... I'm going to question until I see them prove me wrong, their mental toughness. They, this team hasn't been out of the second round before. I don't know. I think if Toronto is to win a series, I would say that Toronto needs to get over in five and six. If it goes seven, you know, now you're playing with house money. If you're mm-hmm. Philly, no one really expected us to be here. No one really really thought we would take them to seven. So in my opinion, I would say Toronto needs to go ahead, take care of business, and knock this team out because, like you said, they don't have a lot of depth. They're top-heavy, and B's health is in question. So I think they should go ahead and get it over with. Outside of that, we never know what happened in the game seven. And Toronto, Kyle Lowry, those players, especially Kyle Lowry, he's known to, you know, freeze up in big moments at times. Yeah, well, and we mentioned it. I mean, any one of these four teams could be in the finals. I don't think that would shock any of us. Like you could even say today, if any one of these teams is in the final, it's not a surprise. So it really does speak to the depth of the Eastern Conference. But that should be – should be pretty fun, Chris. The last series I want to talk about game going on right now. Portland doing pretty well against the Nuggets, where they need to to get this one to make this even make the series one one up ten as we record this. But I'm very fascinated by this one as well because two teams that maybe weren't expected to be here at least at the start of the season. Denver had a good regular season, needed seven to get by the Spurs, and we mentioned what the the Blazers did to get by the Thunder at the beginning of this. I want to talk about Portland and what they've done because Nurkic goes down. It's been the McCollum and and obviously Lillard show to get them to where they've been. But Damian Lillard continues to impress and amaze me. His game and the moment never get too big for him, and I think we saw that in the OKC series. He's uh, just an unquestioned leader and someone that I really just enjoy watching play. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think Dame Lillard is one of the most underrated players ever. I think the fact that he makes the playoffs every year and, and is and is consistently a top four seed is very undervalued. In the West, like yeah. For, yeah, for example, you have a team like with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. He finished higher than them the last three seasons since KD left. And I would say that OKC had a better roster. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's fearless, he owned up to the fact last year that he played bad. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, oh, such and such was hurt and this and that. And he came back this year and he just adjusted his game and became a stronger and better player. Yeah, and I really like what Coach Stotts has done with that team, uh, making it Lillard ball dominant with some shooters around him. McCollum's played great as well. They're even getting contributions from players like Enos Cantor. They're going into this series with a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum. But Denver is a tough team, a team that I think is fascinating for a lot of basketball people, Chris, because we've said for a while, a lot of depth, a lot of talent, maybe not a star on their team yet, now, except for Jokic, obviously, who... Obviously, he's been making the leap. But on the perimeter, there isn't that ball-dominant guy. Maybe it's Murray, but he struggled a little in the last series. And I wonder if they're going to need someone to rise up and be the guy, be the alpha on this team. Maybe not this series, though, Chris. Do you think the Nuggets need someone to keep elevating and uh, become the man on their perimeter? Yeah, maybe not this series because as much as I like Dame Lillard, I still think him just being 6'3", he can't necessarily impose his will like a Kevin Durant. Whereas um, I think the Nuggets are a more well-rounded team. And with Jokic, he could kind of do it all for you. I think they have slightly better shooting overall as a team. 
But as far as a, a ball-dominant guard for the Nuggets, yes, as they go further in the playoffs, they would definitely need someone on the perimeter who could impose their will more so than a, a Murray or a Gary Harris or a Will Barton and those guys. So I definitely think they need a three, one, two, or three who is slightly bigger and can impose their wills on other teams. Yeah, I mean, Paul Millsap's giving them stuff. They do have a lot of depth, but you wonder if you get to Golden State and in those type teams, what what's next? I mean, I, I look at I look at Denver as a team that I think I'm I'm picking to win this series based on the depth, based on the fact that Portland this is a series that they missed Nurkic for sure. But I wonder if Denver is going to be like that Boston Celtics team when they were acquiring all those assets, Chris. If next year yeah. they're going to be looking to trade a few to get that superstar player, like how Boston got Kyrie. Yeah, and that honestly would be smart because uh, they play good as a team. They have a cohesive unit. They have a lot of depth, and they definitely have pieces other teams will want. And right now, like we were just alluding to, they're just missing that one superstar guard or small forward, someone who can handle the ball and make plays for you on the perimeter without necessarily, you know, having to rely on a team to score. So I think they will probably make that move next year if they don't get past this round or make it to the Western Conference Finals. But at the same time, on the other hand, if Dame Willard in Portland wins this series, I think that's just a testament to how good Dame is. And I think we have to start really considering him a top five player if he makes it to the Western Conference Finals. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that last statement. Fun to watch Lillard play. Chris, this was a blast before I let you go. Who do you think, I want to get your finals pick, who is it going to be in this year's NBA Finals? course i'm going to go with the warriors i think the warriors are the best team in the nba but i don't think they are as i don't think they're necessarily a lock to just win the finals i honestly think it's a few teams out east that will definitely give them a run for their money and we saw last round that uh i think steph got a little hobbled i think clay got a little hobbled so they're one injury away from really being even with the field but i got the warriors coming out west as long as kevin durant doesn't get hurt Mm -hmm. and out east honestly it's a toss-up but I'm going to go Celtics, okay. Toronto, Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. I'm picking with my heart, but I'm going to say the Celtics are going to go. I'm picking with my heart right there, but I definitely think the Celtics and Toronto will be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Cool. I agree with that, but I'm going to go Raptors. I think Warriors-Raptors is the is smarter play. But you're right. I mean, the upside is there for Boston. If, if they're all playing their A game, they're going to be hard to beat in the Eastern Conference. But – I'm going to go Raptors. I just, I'll, I'll take yeah. the Hawaii and company. Honestly, I, I could see the Raptors going. One thing I would like to say before we get off, man, Kawhi Leonard has really elevated his game. He yeah. was the best defensive player in the league for a long time. And to be honest, on offense, his efficiency gets up there with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's. And that's pretty amazing. I don't think he really gets enough credit for that. There's so many games we look up, he got 35 points on 12 to 16. He's, you know? he's such a complete player. I mean, I didn't think any of us saw this three, four, five years ago, in that his offensive game has all the tricks in it. Like, there's nothing he can't do on the offensive side. And uh, it's incredible to watch another type of player, too, that, you know, in that same regard to the Durants, the LeBrons, the Hardens, makes the right basketball play. He's not so ball-dominant like a Russell Westbrook type where he has to finish, has to shoot. He'll find the open man in the corner, too. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he's just been been a joy to watch as well i think the eastern conference playoffs are as fun as they've ever been it should be a, a blast might be the might be the series to watch these next two on the east because it seems that that's where all the drama is i know it's a hypothetical at the moment but let's just say um had lebron stayed out east with the same cleveland team do you think he would have made it to the finals this year again with all these, with all the depth in the East this year. Well, no, um, I don't, and, and I think a large part of that was the Kevin Love injury situation too. I mean, that was a hobbled team. I know they started trading off parts, but they were on their last legs. It wasn't yeah. going that way. Everybody else was rising up, uh, and and you look at certain teams. I mean, the Bucks make the journey, make the leap with Giannis being being great, but they also added some pieces, got a better coach in there, and a team like Philly. I mean, the Sixers. Gave LeBron fits in the regular season last year. I know it was just the regular season, but Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris come in. Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors. I mean, it's a different conference now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Hey, last thing, Chris. Uh, MVP this year. Does Harden repeat or is it Giannis? Man, that's a tough one. I really think um, I think you got to go Giannis because he had the best record 
So that's why I say go Giannis, best record in the NBA. Uh, I think he had slightly less talent around him. Maybe the team was teams are just as deep, but I think he has slightly less talent with the best record in the NBA. But at the same time, I think James Harden averaged 36. If you think back on the season, he had way more spectacular moments, so more memorable moments. But Giannis was giving you consistent 28, 12, 6. So it's kind of hard not to go with him. Plus, he's a better defender. So I think I would go Giannis. But, man, it's amazing. James Harden averaged 36, 35 points. So... Yeah, there's no real wrong answer. There's no terrible answer. I go Giannis as well. I, I agree. I think he should be a defensive a player of the year finalist with what he did. And, and I think we should go back to the best record meaning something. I know the Rockets were carried by Harden to the four seed, but best record in the league should mean something. So I go Giannis as well. Yeah, I think he should get it this year. We'll see. We'll see. Chris Scruggs, this was a blast. Maybe reminisce a little bit back in the old days, but all the players are younger than us now, so <laughs> most of them, right. I should say. But thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll have to do this again soon and uh, see how some of these NBA picks end up. Yes, sir. I definitely appreciate being, being on the show, and don't hesitate to invite me back. For sure, for sure. Chris Scruggs, Money Mitch Effect. All right, huge thanks to both guests, Ryan Souls and Chris Scruggs, taking me back to when I just started out on the microphone talking sports with those guys. Some things do never change. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And once again, I got to say, go Columbus Blue Jackets. They play tonight. The NHL playoffs are great. We're going to be breaking down a lot of the series. Early next week, I think, is when we're going to do that. Hurricanes are up 3-0. Blue Stars now tied at 2-all. Sharks going for a game four win to go up 3-1, as are the Columbus Blue Jackets. See what you got nationwide arena. Make the Bruins feel uncomfortable. That series has been incredible as well. Sergey Bobrovsky, incredible. Matt Duchesne clutch. What more can I say? If you like this episode of the Money Mitch Effect, in every episode you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect and it comes right up. I'm also on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for this post and other show episodes as well. I'm Mitch Michaels. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Kentucky Derby. Enjoy the Canelo Alvarez versus Jacobs fight and all the NBA and NHL playoffs. And until next time, you know what it is. Keep enjoying sports.